Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, July 11th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So, you know, Alex, we always do the same intro (laughs) just by habit, I guess, at this point. And my kids sometimes overhear that and they have been imitating me doing the kind of this is your wiretaps thing. So I'm kind of very self-conscious now (laughs) when I when we record these. But anyway, I'm going to I think maybe we'll have a take your you know sons to work day at some point and I'll get them to do the lead in or something. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Um, So what's going on? I you know, I will say I saw a little bit of activity on the website with respect to Harvard's two plus two program last week. So yeah. yeah, any, any other stuff happening? I guess everything else is kind of aimed at next year, but there are a handful of people who've been getting into Harvard for that two plus two program. Yeah. I mean, Harvard, like, like you say, they were scheduled to release their two plus two, um, admissions, um, last week. And they did as, as they, uh, they, they do, they do. Um, so that's very good. So, so we saw some activity on that on Livewire, but you know, again, we're still seeing a little bit of waitlist activity. So, yeah. Um, my sense is some schools are still trying to, um, you know, finalize their classes. And again, if, if, if a school higher up the, the, the tiers, uh, makes some moves for, for the wait list, then other schools then have to react and respond to that. So there is still some of that activity growing. Yeah. I can't remember. I feel like I saw UNC and, and maybe Cornell, like there've been a handful of schools going to their lists. And yeah, as you say, there's a lot of shuffling of the deck that happens as soon as, you know, some of the, you know, top ranked schools go to their lists and there's just sort of like a, a waterfall, um, effect. So yeah, in any event, uh, things are still coming into form there. But with the other thing we've been seeing is more and more schools releasing their deadlines and essay topics for the coming cycle. Yeah. And we've also been able to connect with a bunch of admissions directors. Lauren, our editor-in-chief, does this series, as you know, of admissions director Q&As that are just written, you know, interviews she does with um, admissions officers from top schools. And we actually rolled out a couple last week. Uh, I don't know if she did this on purpose. Knowing Lauren, it probably was, but we had both Kellogg and Chicago booth uh, last week. Uh, so we talked, we heard from Steve Thompson, who's the senior director of admissions at Kellogg. And then we heard from Donna Swinford, who's the associate dean for student recruitment and admissions over at Chicago Booth. And I wanted to actually, I know I want people to go to the site and read these interviews because, you know, Lauren asks them some great questions uh, about their essays, about their process. I mean, a lot of like behind the scenes stuff, and I love reading those. But I pulled out a couple of quotes that I figured I'd share on the podcast. And I think the reason I wanted to mention this is because I think you're going to find at least the, what, what the Kellogg um, gentleman said, Steve Thompson, I think you're going to find this really interesting because we talk about admissions criteria a lot. And, and we were asking, or Lauren was asking him, you know, what, what goes into your assessment? And he said, at Kellogg, we're very transparent about six criteria that we evaluate potential students on. So the first is intellectual ability, then work experience, professional goals, leadership, impact, and interpersonal skills. So those are the six. And he said the most difficult trait to evaluate continues to be leadership. Leadership can be demonstrated and described in many different ways by applicants, but we're specifically looking for examples of spearheading change, striving for excellence, or creating a legacy in one's organization. We want our students to be the kind of people that aim to leave a lasting mark on their companies before Kellogg and throughout the rest of their career. 
So what do you make of that, Alex? Because I, I thought that was w- well said, but also just interesting to hear these criteria because we talk about them in the book that, um, that you know, Clear Admit has that you authored, right? The how to become a Clear Admit stuff, right? So what do you think of that? That's what I was going to ask. I wonder <laughs> if you read our book. I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I love this stuff, quite, quite frankly. I like the way they teased it out um, into those six components. Um, and certainly one, one thing, well, there's a couple of things that really um, struck me. This notion of leave it, leaving a legacy, I think, wherever you go, do you leave wherever it is in better shape when you do leave? Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's I, I, lo- I do love that. This notion of impact and those that are familiar with um, Apply Why will, will know that oftentimes <laughs> my advice is you've got to show impact at work. There's two sort of broad things that you need to sort of show at work and outside of work, but it's impact and growth. Right. Um, and yeah, um, so, so, so yeah, I really like um, the, the fact that they are extremely transparent about the six criteria that they, they look at. And, and again, in our admissions book, we don't sort of break it out in exactly into those six buckets, but we also come up with um, aspects of criteria, sort of bigger sort of picture buckets that, that candidates need to sort of check off. And then we do a deep dive into each of those yeah. um, buckets. So, so yeah, no, I, I really like that, Graham. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the criteria that Kellogg has are not so far afield from what we outline in the book. No. And, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Now, on the other side of the coin, um, in the interview that Lauren conducted with Chicago Booth's uh, Donna Swinford, we actually, I got some, you know, she offered some pretty good tactical advice. So I thought I would share that too. So one thing that Donna mentioned, if you're applying to Chicago booth, and I think this is good to have out there. She just said, first of all, we don't look at any applications until after the deadline. So your application will not enter the review process until the round is closed. So I think that's important to know. So if you're someone thinking, oh, I'm going to get my app in like a month early, um, which, you know, you're certainly welcome to do if you somehow had the ability to get everything ready, but it doesn't mean they're going to look at it. And so I would argue that given that, why not take the time, make sure what you submit is perfect, although don't drop it in on the very last day because the server might be overloaded or something, but still know that they're not going to read a file until the deadline is closed. And then the other thing she offered up is she just said that she thinks it can, uh, let's see, she says, it can help to have someone else read through your essay and tell you what they gleaned from it. An outside perspective on your words can be very helpful, and my advice is to make sure that you answer the question posed and refrain from using the essay as a catch-all for everything you want to tell the admissions committee. So I thought very good kind of tactical advice that reminds me of stuff that we've been working on of late, Alex. Are you talking about Clear Admit Plus, Graham? I am talking about Clear Admit Plus, yes, and actually... <laughs> I caught you out there. <laughs> yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, so let's actually, so we've been kind of hinting at this for a while, but when we went to London a few months ago, you and I began work on a big project that um, sits within uh, a new kind of offering that we're going to roll out in the coming days here called Clear Admit Plus. And what Clear Admit Plus is, is a, a kind of um, set of resources and sort of private or, you know, kind of um, behind a wall content for people who use our site. And it, I'm really excited about it because not only are we tapping into all the data that we have from LiveWire, you know, making making uh, the LiveWire data dashboard part of ClearAdmit Plus, but we're also introducing something called the Admissions Academy. And I thought maybe you'd want to say just a word or two about that. Yeah, I mean, this is basically your, your typical subscription model that, that, that we're rolling out. Um, and, and yet the Admissions Academy is a set of 25 um, lessons 
in terms of how to prepare your your candidacy um, for as, as you're targeting top tier business schools. So we go through all the sort of um, aspects of, of of putting together strong applications, including researching the right business schools, um, coming up with your goals, um, addressing all the different components. And what I would say, Graham, is yeah, smart candidates can glean much of this insight um, from our site more generally if they know where to look and they really understand um, what they need to be looking for. And I think that's key. What what I see our role here is a role somewhat of curation, i.e. we've put together these 25 lessons because these are the 25 lessons you need to navigate to put in your best um, um, applications. So, so, so yeah, I'm really excited. Um, we've we've held the lid on this for for quite a while. Um, <laughs> it, it won't be out at the time that this podcast is being broadcast, but it'll be out within the next couple of weeks, I would think. Um, given given the status of where we're at, um, yeah, very exciting, yeah. Graham. And I, I just want to add that you know I know people listening to the podcast are used to you know us going back and forth and the kind of conversations we have, and we tried to maintain that with this kind of uh, admissions academy. And as you said, it's twenty five lessons. The lessons are videos, so they're literally about ten minutes long each. And we take you through one key aspect of admissions. And so you'll get to actually see our beautiful faces uh, and watch us interact rather than just tuning in on the podcast if you sign up for Clear Admit Plus. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And stay tuned. We'll have more details next week, and, and it'll be out very soon. We're working hard to sort of wrap things up. But very exciting stuff. Uh, Alex, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about before we get into the candidates that you've selected for this week, and that is that we continue to run those real numbers series on our website. And this week we did one on GRE scores, kind of median and average GRE scores across the top business schools. And it was just fascinating to me to see, uh, you know, where those numbers fall because there's such a range and it doesn't follow um, what you might think. So for example, I think Wharton's average GRE score is a 324. Um, I'm just going to double check that while we're here because I want to make sure I'm not saying the wrong thing. But yeah, so Wharton has a 324 average GRE score. The Yale School of Management has a 331 median GRE score. So not apples to apples, but not so far afield either. And and it's just interesting to see that. And we've long felt that for one reason or another, the schools aren't using exactly the same standard with the GRE as they might be with a GMAT in the sense that you know, if you take their average GMAT score and convert it to what should be the equivalent GRE score, often the GRE the GRE equivalent is higher than the average GRE that the school's admitting at. So kind of an interesting phenomenon that we've observed. I don't think Yale is falling into that bucket, though. No, fair play to Yale for, for being a little bit more rigorous on, on the side of the GRE. That 324, what does that equate to, Graham? About a 680 on the GMAT or something? I, I would think, right? I think so. So somewhere around there, which would be extraordinary if Wharton had an average um, GMAT of 680. So, so yeah, I mean, we've, like you say, we've often stated that we think the GRE is a little, well, I wouldn't say a little bit of a backdoor in, but it, it certainly, um, um, you, yeah, it is what it is. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, really interesting stats and really interesting that Yale's 331 is going to be comparable to a 730 or, or whatever GMAT. So fair play to them. Yeah, exactly. And I think the what, part of the reason we do that number series is 
I just, I remember being frustrated having to sort of like go from one school website to another to gather this information. And so what we try to do at Clear Admit is just, you know, we have average GRE scores. We've got average GMAT scores. We're doing, there's a whole series of numbers and facts and figures that are, you know, just aggregated across all the schools to make it easy for you as an applicant to kind of find this stuff. So lots of fun. Um, all, all, all about curation, Graham. You know, I'm into curation. That's curation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other thing, uh, housekeeping note, we've got on this Wednesday coming up at noon Eastern, we're having the first of our essay workshops where we invite directors of admissions from top schools, usually about four or five schools at each of these um, workshops to talk about their essays. I tend to um, MC these and I grill the admissions directors on like why they ask these essay questions, what are they looking for, et cetera. And this week we've got Berkeley, Chicago Booth, Tuck, and Darden taking part. So that'll be a lot of fun to kick off this July's kind of uh, workshop series. I will say hundreds and hundreds of people sign up for these things and come. And we had such a great time last summer doing them. And and this summer looks to be equally uh, fun. And we've got, I mean, gosh, you know, there's one every Wednesday for the next four Wednesdays. So you'll get to see pretty much any school that you might want to. We've got Wharton and Stanford and Columbia and MIT, others coming down the pipeline, LBS and CED. So stay tuned. But this Wednesday is Berkeley, Chicago, Tuck and Darden. So please join us. You can sign up on our website or you can just go to bit.ly forward slash C-A-M-B-A essays. So Alex, anything else that you had before we kind of get into our candidates this week? Yeah, I mean, I'm excited you, you got these events upcoming. It's obviously why we're trying to get Clear Admit Plus rolled out yeah. in conjunction with these events because you, you're going to be in front of lots and lots of um, candidates because as you say, hundreds of folks signed up. I mean, that's literal, Graham, right? I mean, I think I saw upwards of 500 for this first event. Yeah. And it'll go, and that's, you know, that was like several days back. So it's going to yeah. be, yeah. I mean, I remember last summer we had thousands of people in the end, so yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. So no, very good. everyone tune into that. Yeah. So, uh, all right, well, let's move on though and get into our wiretaps portion. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week is an ApplyWire entry that you've selected, Alex, and this person wants to start school in the fall of 23. They've got nine schools on the target list, and those schools are Carnegie Mellon, Columbia, Duke, Georgetown, MIT, NYU, Stanford, UT Austin, and UVA. They've been working mostly in real estate, and they have kind of a a mix of goals post-MBA that we'll get into. Their GPA is a 3.17, and they have an unusually high number of years of work experience, and that's 11 years. Uh, They're located in Texas, and they are indifferent as to where they land post-MBA. Some demographics information, this candidate is a 36-year-old male, Asian-American, first-gen college student, and from a low-income background. They um, did an economics undergrad from a private university in Texas. And they mentioned that the low GPA that they have, which they're acknowledging, you know, 3.17, was due to a mix of mental health issues and substance abuse after separating from the military. And in terms of background, you know, they'd done eight years in the military before they went off to college. They were, uh, I'm gonna find it here, they were an ordnance disposal technician. And they actually did a couple of deployments in the Middle East and then, um, you know, did work on counter uh, weapons of mass destruction stuff. So, um, kind of weak extracurriculars currently because they're working in a family office in a kind of finance real estate role and they don't have a lot of time. They claim they're working 65 hours plus a week. 
But they did do a bunch of stuff in undergrad and even while they were in the military did some volunteer work. So Alex, what, what do you make of this candidate? They haven't taken a test or, or I guess they took the EA and they're not happy with their score of 150. They're going to take it again. But there's a lot to unpack here, kind of older candidate. Um, they're taking the executive assessment, not the GMAT or GRE. They have a low GPA, some mental health issues because of the military. What, how do you piece this all together and where do you think this person should land? Yeah, I mean, this this is quite a complicated um, story, as it were, certainly an unorthodox story um, in terms of MBA admissions. Unorthodox doesn't mean, you know, that they've, they've got, you know, no chance or anything like that. It's just going to make tying the story together a little bit more complicated. So as we understand it, Graham, they, um, from high school, enlisted in the military, and they were in the military for eight years, uh, with some leadership exposure too, um, they they um, talk about um, leading teams, certainly out in the in, in in the wilds, as it were, actually out on deployment um, in the Middle East, um, and 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 so on and so forth. So there might be some really interesting experience um, to come out of that. Um, but eight years as an enlisted um, um, military candidate, and then when back to get their undergraduate degree, had some issues, as, as you um, suggested, um, coming out of the military, um, some, some mental health issues and so on and so forth, which sort of potentially harms the GPA overall. So they're going to have to address that um, in the, um, you know, the optional essays or, or whatever it might be. They've decided to take the executive assessment test rather than the GMAT or GRA. It's not clear to me why they made that choice, but they've made that choice. Um, and I, it looks like, you know, they've taken the test once, but they, they're, they're retaking the test. And it looks like they, they, they feel they can get a competitive score. Um, so obviously getting as high and as competitive a score on that as possible will be Great. They've worked since undergrad for three years. And I, I think this is probably the strength of the, the overall um, candidacy is this three years of experience in, in a real estate um, um, firm, um, family business. I'm not assuming it's their family business. Um, no, it's, it's a family office. So I believe that means it's a vehicle, an investment vehicle for probably a very you know wealthy kind of family. And, yeah. and it sounds like it's real estate focused in terms of the work they're doing, but yeah. yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. But it does look to me that they're doing well in this role, um, or at least that's how they're sort of, um, addressing this role. And probably as a result of this role, They've identified that actually getting an MBA uh, would 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 now make real good sense for them to continue on in um, in, in this career path and so forth. Um, so so you know a very unorthodox candidate with some um, potential um, issue that that they're going to have to overcome, um, um, no doubt. Um, one of my questions was, you know. And also, their first generation, they, they've overcome a lot, um, Graham. So, so this is, you know, they're going to show grit, determination. Again, I think now they're on a really good path. Um, so, so they sort of navigated, um, you know, so, some stuff along the way to get to where they are now. And I think they're on the fast track and doing really well now. And if they can complement that with a very strong EA score, that would be very good. They've done HBS Core 2, which also signals to me that they're sort of really focused now on that strong pathway. 
Um, so, so that all of that stuff's very good. Um, I think they're doing, you know, some some really good stuff on the extracurricular side. Not currently, but they have done, and a lot of that's been related to their sort of being first generation and so on and so forth. So, so I like all that. Um, my my question is, um, you know, is the you know a, a top full time MBA program one? Is it accessible to them? And as an unorthodox candidate, they're going to have to jump a, a bunch of hoops to 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 for it to for them to be genuinely accessible to them. I'm not saying it's it's not not possible, but they are going to have to jump through a, a lot a lot of hoops to make that happen. Um, because they're also going to have to justify why now they basically you know eleven years of of experience if you add the military experience to the real estate experience. Um, so they're going to be an older candidate. They're 36. So on that side, they're an outlier. And typically candidates at that end of the spectrum are, are targeting either executive MBA programs or part-time MBA programs or whatever it might be that might be equally valuable to a candidate like this rather than relocate to a top full-time program, which typically is what you're going to do if you're targeting full-time programs. So Maybe in their region, there's a really good opportunity to do some a different type of MBA program that'll help them continue along the pathway they've they've now found themselves in. Um, so that'd be my overall assessment, Graham. Um, is uh, is is the a top tier full time MBA program the right route, or are there other opportunities they should also pursue simultaneously? Maybe yeah, I pursue the full-time, but also look at some of these other options. And I know you said um, before we came on air, maybe even, um, you know, programs more focused on real estate itself. Yeah, this is really fascinating. I think you have to separate out the sort of there's there's um, what's right for this person. Like, let's hold aside their qualifications and, and some of the hurdles and, and say, well, what's right? And, you know, you could argue, well, yeah, they went to the military, <clears throat> but you know, their career, it sounds like, you know, if they if they did military, then college, and then three years of work experience, you could argue that on some levels, professionally, at least in the business realm, they're kind of like a lot of normal kind of, you know, 20-somethings, right? Because they, you know, a lot of those 20-somethings went to college, worked for three years, and then applied to business school. So if you hold aside the military stint that happened before college, you know, then you say, well, yeah, I get, I get why this person might really want to just go to a traditional full-time MBA. And they did mention in their comments, I wouldn't mind, you know, a change of scenery and just, you know, taking a full-time um, program. And I, I get that. And and you could also argue that, gee, you know, all these top MBA programs, there's only going to be uh, at least a couple of 35, 36-year-olds in the class. They're, they're few and far between, but they do exist. Um, so I, I get why they would want to do it. On the other hand, when you look at that GPA and then you look at the, the fact that they're just taking the executive assessment and not one of the sort of more traditional exams, you start to get these question marks. And my view is that the 35-year-olds or 36-year-olds who get into these top programs often you know, have probably pretty good marks and, and, and numbers because the school's kind of taking a risk in the first place. And so, so you get into a little bit of a dicey situation here. I do find the story super compelling. I mean, I think they clearly have dealt with a lot and come out on the other side, yeah. um, you know, do, doing really well. They started as an intern in this family office and now they're a vice president and that only took them three years. Yeah. So, so clearly there's talent. I guess I, I, I did like the fact that they mentioned the Sloan uh, Fellows programs. I believe Stanford has one and I, I know LBS has one as well. 
where it's kind of a one-year master's in management for people in their 30s. The only issue there is normally it's for it's for people who are maybe a little more senior, and so they, they may run into some, some of that. They could look into it, though. I would encourage them to have those conversations and see what the schools think, because they'll probably get some pretty frank feedback if they reach out. Uh, to me, they could probably pursue all these strategies in parallel. You know, they could throw in a couple of full-time applications, look at some of these one-year type mid-career offerings. And then the last thing, as you pointed out, I had mentioned to you before we came on air, there are some pretty good real estate, um, you know, kind of real estate investment, real estate management programs out there. Uh, Cornell has one, and, and those are just masters focused wholly in that sector. And this person did say in their note that, you know, they're thinking about, um, you know, staying in real estate, but shifting into development or acquisitions. So in any event, there's a lot of potential paths here. I do think securing a better score on the EA, they're at 150 now, they're aiming for like 160 plus, uh, will help to sort of mitigate some of the GPA issues. But again, they are older. So there's just so many factors here. It's a, it's a tricky one, Alex, which I presume is why you picked it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a tricky one. Um, like you say, they, they, it, it looks like they've done very well um, in this current role, like you say, intern to VP in three years. Um, so massive um, kudos to them. Like you say, sort of turn, but whether it's turning things around is is, is the right um, and catchphrase, or they've they've definitely overcome a lot and jumped a lot of hurdles to get to where they are today. Yeah. Um, and 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 so forth. Um, but but it, being truly realistic. I think they need to spread their options. I target one of you know a few of these full-time MBA programs, but look at some of these other options too that may actually be a better fit um, for 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 you know what what they want to do um, in in the future. And I think you know because they've decided obviously that they're going to be um, targeting the EA um, test. Um, there's no doubt get you know getting as high a score as they can on that EA is going to be really, really important. So in terms of what they need to do from now until, you know, they pull the trigger on their applications, it's really focus a lot of time on super prep and really doing as well as they can in in, 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 in that test. Yeah, agreed. Well, I did want to thank them for sharing their profile and, and wish them the best of luck. They have a number of, you know, yeah, as you said, tackle the test and look into some of these other programs and, and just see where the chips fall. I do think they're facing, you know, kind of a, some steep odds at the traditional full-time programs, but it certainly could be worth rolling the dice and, and see where the chips fall. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this candidate is also an applier entry that you selected, Alex, and, and they are targeting fall of 23, as most people are right now. They've got seven schools on their target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Cornell, MIT, NYU, Wharton, and Yale. This person's been working at an economic consulting firm, uh, I believe in, I guess they're in New York or something. So they uh, want to get into consulting after business school, and they have Bain, BCG, and McKinsey on the target list. GMAT score is a 740, and their GPA is a 3.68, so great numbers there. They've got five years of work experience. Uh, they indicate that they're a straight white man. They'll be 27 at the uh, at the time of matriculation, and they went to a small liberal arts school. They mentioned it's a, a NESAC uh, school, which is um, or NESCAC, I think you said. I can't remember, but it's it's an acronym that stands for 
Oh gosh, uh, it's all the New England kind of top liberal arts colleges. I'll look it up at some point. I never remember what it stands for, but um, I actually think maybe it originally stemmed from like a sports affiliation, but it's it's a number of really great liberal arts colleges. So this person went to a good school, majored in econ and political science, did a minor in data analytics, and they also played some varsity sport in college, but also um, did some tutoring in a local prison uh, as a kind of uh, extracurricular. Uh, so, you know, they, they actually uh, want to, while they're doing economic consulting, they have kind of a, a, an interest in healthcare, And some of that stems from some personal challenges they faced. Uh, they suffer from epilepsy. And they, they also, you know, they're just sort of very interested in um, taking the kind of experience that they have and, and kind of moving it more into the healthcare domain. They talk about a long-term goal of maybe one day being the COO or a CEO of like a medical devices company. Uh, and so, in any event, that, that's kind of where they are. They, they also have another dilemma I wanted to ask you about, Alex, which is they took the GMAT three times, and their best score is that 740 that I mentioned. But it turns out that on the other two attempts, their quantitative percentile was much higher. Um, so I think the, the 740 actually comes with like a 50 percentile math result, whereas the 710, which was their, maybe their first sitting, comes with maybe more like a 67th percentile or there, thereabouts on, on the math. So they had a question about like what to do about that. So I'll turn it over to you. What do you make of this candidacy and, and, and particularly any thoughts on this GMAT question? Well, I'll just bounce it directly back to you, Graham. What's the weakness in this candidacy? <laughs> I mean, other than that quant score of being, you know, kind of a lower quant score on their, on their GMAT exam, I don't really see any weaknesses. I mean, you could argue maybe they're a little overrepresented, you know, straight, they say straight white, white male, but even that, I mean, they went to a great undergraduate institution. You know. Yeah, but even that, all right, so you could say, well, that puts them in an overrepresented bucket. But when you think about if, if someone's overrepresented or underrepresented, you've really got to key in on the full spectrum of their profile, right? Right. Um, so are they um, overrepresented? Well, they've had this medical issue. Well, I don't know if you, medical issue is the right way to um, term it, but they've suffered epilepsy yeah. and had 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 to go through several several brain surgeries. I yeah. think that's what they 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 suggested in their um, you know the, through their life. So to me, that actually t you know they've had to overcome a lot yeah. um, to to get to where they are today um, through through these health issues. So you know whether you're a striver or an achiever and overcome a lot because of health issues or whether it was because of economic issues or whatever it is. It, to me, it says you've overcome a lot. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't put them in the overrepresented bucket because of this particular um, issue. Um, you know, their numbers, 740, 368. Yeah, the quant's a little bit um, weird on that 740, but as you put in the, on, on apply wire, they can, they can contextualize that. That's not going to be a problem. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's just, this is, you, you, you know, they, they went to, you know, whatever, you, you talk about this um, brilliant liberal arts college with the 368 Jeep. I mean, ev everything to me checks off for this, this person. I love their passion, their interest, they're aligned with, with you know, their, their, their health experiences and so forth. Um, yeah. Doing tutoring in a prison because perhaps they weren't, you know, the, the best um, varsity athlete, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, that's always, always made me wonder about the folks that make those kind of choices. I mean, tutoring in prisons is 
not your your typical choice, but you've got to learn so much from that type of experience. So, right. Um, I I think this person needs to take a big hit at the the very very best. And as you said, Wharton is clearly in their wheelhouse um, for, for for their goals. Lots and lots to like here, Graham. Yeah, agreed. And I would say there there are a few things that stood out to me. Um, number one, I don't think they need to apply to all the schools that they have on their list. Like they had seven on their list. I think they could probably get away with applying to like five or six or at minimum start with a small group and get round one applications together and, and see where the chips fall. I also couldn't help but wonder if, and I know you mentioned this in your comments, whether they, you know, should have like a Harvard or a Stanford on their list. I mean, I, you know, they do want to land in New York afterwards and that might've been driving their decision to not have Stanford, but I see Berkeley on their list. So, um, so it does, uh, it does occur to me that they may want to aim really high, get some of those apps in, in the first round. The other thing I, I did look it up while we were chatting and I, I believe that, um, NISAC is the New England Small College Athletic Conference, and it includes, you know, um, colleges like Amherst and Middlebury and I think Hamilton and Wesleyan. So basically, and and Williams as well. So lots of the really great liberal arts colleges that are up there in New England. So just for context, in case people are wondering, um, but in any event, yeah, I, I feel like they can write an optional essay and say, hey, I took the GMAT three times. My, my quant score on the most recent test, which I'm submitting, is not as good as I have scored. And, and just, you know, kind of leave it at that. It's not a big, big deal because that 740 is such a great number overall. And they have that 368 um, in undergrad. So, yeah, this is, a to me, kind of a superstar candidate. I, I was really moved by what they wrote about, you know, going through those brain surgeries and they have a medical implant and that's what's made them interested in healthcare. Yeah. Personally, I said this to you prior. I was like, "Wow, if I if I if ever there was a candidate to do the Wharton Healthcare Management Program, that's this person. Like they they kind of everything that they've said and done and want to do fits perfectly with the way that program's set up. And I'm sure they've already done their homework because I see Wharton's on their list. But they should be having that conversation with June Kinney or whoever over at, at Healthcare Management at Wharton to sort of find out more because that that might be the best fit for this person in the end. But c- can you imagine that Stanford first essay? It's going to be fantastic. That's true. Yeah. If they, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what matters most to you and why? Yeah. They have a very clear, um, you know, storyline there. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. In any event, I think that's a superstar. Uh, not much else to say. I guess we can move on unless you had anything else on this one. No, best of luck to, to them as, as well as our first candidate yeah. who's much less traditional, um, and, um, you know, more unorthodox. Um, but again, the first candidate has overcome a lot Agreed. and and that admissions committees really um, will take into account and they're on, you know, doing very well right now. But, but these candidates are distinctly quite different. I mean, the, the, the second candidate has gone on more of a traditional path, mm-hmm. um, but their passions and interests obviously stem from their their, 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 their own um, health issues um, that they've overcome and so on and so forth. Um, um, but yeah, no, no, absolutely outstanding. Yeah, agreed. So let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So our final candidate for this week is an ApplyWire entry that you picked. They're also targeting 2023, and they've got nine schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Harvard, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago Booth, Wharton, Darden, and Yale. This person's been working in construction management for about four years. They, they did construction management four years and then at a top kind of contractor in the U.S. And then they also have another year, um, I guess, at a construction manufacturing consultancy. 
So very focused work experience in this general domain. Uh, they're thinking about consulting or maybe manufacturing or auto. I mean, they've got a lot of things on the post-MBA career <laughs> list in terms of what they posted here on the site. The companies that they cited are Booz Allen, BCG, McKinsey, Lockheed Martin, Pratt & Whitney. So they, they have a number of potential paths they're kind of contemplating. They have a whopping 770 GMAT score um, and then a fairly low GPA of 3.07. They've got five years of work experience. They're located in Virginia, and they are pretty open to different locations post-MBA. I mean, they mentioned Northeast, Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, or West Coast. I guess, you know, there's not much to leave out there. Um, they are interested in renewable energy when it comes to their kind of long-term plan. And, and I guess maybe some of that's related to their experience in construction. It's sort of, they don't really... Um, make that clear. So without, that's one of the question marks I had. Uh, they mentioned that their low undergraduate GPA is partially mitigated by the fact that it was at Cornell, majoring in mechanical engineering with a minor in civil engineering. Uh, and so I'll, I'll leave that there. We're going to talk about that. And then they also have done um, you know, some kind of outside activities. In particular, they're a big rock climber. They do about 10 to 12 hours a week of rock climbing. So I'll leave it there. Alex, what do you make of this candidate? Because there's a little bit of a yin and a yang with the GMAT and the GPA. Otherwise, you know, they've got this kind of construction, um, building kind of background. And yeah, just kind of an interesting profile. Yeah, we like, we like folks that build stuff, I think, mm -hmm. create stuff. I think there's something tangible about that type of work experience. So, um, so, so I think that construction management um, four years will play well with Adcom. Again, yeah. as long as they can show impact and growth and so on and so forth, the various things that Adcom will look at. Now they're in more of a consulting capacity, which is going to be fine. Um, you know, probably, um, yeah, a little bit different, but that's very good. So, so there's no doubt. I think that should play well with um, Adcom. Um, like you say, the goals we 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 want a little bit more sort of insight in, into these goals because their goals is in in the renewable energy space. So I'm hoping it's something to do with you know uh, building like um, you know uh, cities that 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 are that are you know that that are responsible from a re renewable energy standpoint or something like that something related to their prior experience that would be that would make the goals more tangible more credible more real um and hopefully they're ambitious and so on and so forth um so so that would be really good if that is the case um this notion of 770 gmat with a, with a 3.07 um, GPA, that's going to raise a little bit of an eyebrow. Clearly, they're super smart. You can't get a 770 GMAT without being super smart, but it could signal someone that's prepared to do well when they're motivated to do well. I, I've got to get this test done real quick um, or, or done real well. And But then the four-year experience of, of gutting it out with your GPA um, might signal that, you know, they're not fully committed all the time. And certainly, you know, to use the, um, I'm not saying excuse, but the fact that it's Cornell and it was, um, <laughs> it was, um, you know, engineering um, programs and so forth. Um, as you put in, in, in you know, on, on ApplyWire, there are going to be Ivy League grads in engineering with higher GPAs. So, so that's probably um, using that as, a, as, as, as an excuse um, is probably not going to wash so much yeah. um so so that's a little bit of a concern i would say that gpa and how they handle that but there is 
other than that, Graham, I think there is a lot to like here. Yeah, agreed. It's funny. If I had said to you that this candidate has a 3.07 GPA and hasn't yet taken a test, I know that you and I both would probably have said, okay, go take the test and hit it out of the park, right? And that's what they've done. Yeah. So they have a 770. Yeah. So there's sort of not much else they could do. I mean, they, they could, you know, um, maybe take an HBS core or, you know, MBA math, but I, you know, they're an engineering undergraduate. They've got the 770. It's probably okay. Yeah. The thing that worried me was more this idea of, well, look, I did go to Cornell and it was engineering. I'm really nervous that, well, there's going to be people, you know, we see them day in and day out on our site who went to MIT or other, you know, top undergraduate institutions, really strong engineering programs and who have higher GPAs. Yeah. So what I would do if I were this person is I would write an optional essay that explains that, the combination of choosing the mechanical engineering major with the minor in civil engineering was a little bit kind of classic, like I bit off more than I could chew. Um, and I, you know, and I preferred to kind of gut it out um, and, and, you know, complete both of those, the, both the major and the minor rather than, you know, maybe cut back and get better grades. So they, they could take that approach. Um, I guess it would be nice to see an upward trend in the GPA if they're going to make that argument of like, oh, wow, I was, I was really overwhelmed at first, but I hit my stride and, and graduated with a, you know, good final year of grades or something. That that would be more compelling to me than saying, oh, it's Cornell. Yeah. Um, because then you get into this issue of like, are they sounding elitist or something? And I don't think they mean to at all. I mean, this person seems like a great person, right? It's just that when you're reading the files and admissions officer, you know, you never know what, what someone might say that could kind of set you off on the wrong path. So I just want to be careful with how they kind of explain the GPA. But other than that, you know, agree with you, really interesting work experience. And to the extent that they can tie that work experience into their future goals, like you were saying, green cities, et cetera, that would be terrific and will probably make their candidacy all the more appealing. And I love the outside activities too. You know, I mean, this candidate, you know, clearly they're, they're really passionate about rock climbing. And I, and I like to see someone who does a deep dive into something that they're really passionate about and is doing it regularly. So I feel like they tick all the boxes otherwise. I mean, again, they have a long list of schools, might want to narrow it down a little bit based on, you know, their kind of career plan and stuff. But overall, I think they will get into to one or more of these schools. They just need to navigate that GPA issue. Couldn't agree more, Graham. Yeah. All right. So, Alex, I appreciate you. I want to wish that person the best of luck. Obviously, they can follow up with additional questions and comments, as all of you can on ApplyWire. You can share your profile. We engage with you there. We sometimes talk about you on the podcast. So um, please continue to post there. We love seeing your entries. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Otherwise, Alex, I'm ready to come back in one week's time and talk about some more candidates if you are. Very good. Best luck, everyone. Stay safe.